0: Dollar Babies with Peter Nielsen. In this episode, Peter Nielsen joins Joel as they discuss King's Dollar Babies. What's that, you ask? Hmm. Well, they didn't know either. So if you're a Stephen King fan and a fan of short films, you'll want to tune into this one. You want to lay down your four quarters for this one? <laughs>
1: I am here with the great, the mighty, the dynamite Dane himself, huh? 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 Peter Nielsen. Hey, for his huh? third return to the it, yeah, it is Spooky Flicks Fest. Yes, it is. It is the third time we, of course, covered The Exorcist. We reco- yep. we covered uh, Creepers slash phenomena oh so long ago. It's been <laughs> oh yeah. It's been hours <laughs> at least. I've almost forgotten about that. And now we're going to do something completely different. And this particular episode has nothing to do with a movie either of us grew up with. And, is, and, and we're reflecting upon now and how it affects us now. Nothing like that. This is unique mainly because we're both fans of Stephen King. Yep. And I don't know that either of us knew about his dollar babies.
2: Prior to you bringing it up uh, uh, in preparation for this, I had never heard of it.
1: I knew he had a reputation for allowing student filmmakers... And even very indie type filmmakers to option his short stories, certain short stories for very little money so that they and then the deal was they couldn't obviously sell it. But let's be honest, short films don't typically make a crap ton of money anyway. So they could put it in festivals and use it in that way, but they could not sell it. However, he gave them that opportunity to a say they had made a Stephen King movie, which is pretty cool and something for their reel, so that they could get other work. Which is a very cool thing for him to do. As I, I I'm trying to remember even what triggered me. Oh, I know what it was. I was doing research for something and I was on his MDBA page. And I don't know if I was looking for maybe a movie pick for something else. Oh, it may have been Stand By Me. I think it's exactly what triggered it. Because it was when when Jason and I were getting ready to do Stand By Me. Which was the last non-spooky flicks fest movie that he and i covered i think it's episode 125 and uh, yep it is and we, we i was trying to find a pick and i was like okay obviously something maybe Stephen king ish so i'm going through his filmography which has hundreds of titles on it because it's pretty much anything that's connected to him in any way and i see a couple of titles i'm like what okay i knew about a couple of them i knew i'd heard of the boogeyman short film and i'd heard of the woman in the room and I'd heard of them because I remember a VHS rental copy that was this double feature that I had seen when I was younger.
2: Oh yeah. Wait a minute. Isn't an image just popped up. Isn't there is something about a dose door and a woman coming halfway out?
1: Something like that. I, I remember it was like they had put, they packaged them together and released them as this double feature. And wow. I think it probably came out, I'm assuming it was something that came out in the 90s. I think my memory is it was earlier than Shawshank Redemption, and I'm not going into exactly why I'm bringing up that specific movie yet, although it wouldn't be very Uh hard to figure out. (laughs) But I want to say it was before that that I remember seeing it. However, for all I know, maybe that was why they did it, because of the the connectivity between the two, you know? I don't know. I'm speculating here. Or it could just be because Stephen King had gotten big enough, and these were two relatively competently made student-slash-indie-type short films. They figured, you know, put his name on the packaging and, you know, make a few bones. I don't know. Yeah. So the dollar babies is what he calls them. And and it turns out that what Mr. King does is, if you're an indie filmmaker, or student filmmaker specifically, And you want to option the right to use one of his movies or one of his short stories, excuse me, as a movie, which just for those handful of folks out there who may not be 100% sure what the whole optioning thing is, the basic idea is you're a writer, you have a story someone from Hollywood comes a knock in and says, hey, we want to turn your story into a movie. But we're not just going to buy the rights from you outright, because obviously you're going to still own the rights to the story itself, and there's no guarantee that we'll actually make it into a movie. So we'll give you X number of dollars to hold on to that property that nobody else can develop it during that time. We essentially, it's like you're leasing the property so that you have the opportunity to develop it into maybe a screenplay, treatment, whatever, so you can pitch it around Get the financing you need, and once you have the financing, then we will pay you for the the film rights for that property. So, optioning uh, you could theoretically, and I and I know a lot of uh, screenwriters who did things on spec that never had anything produced and would make a decent, if nothing else, side income, if not a living, purely on getting their stuff optioned. It never got made into a full fledged movie because once the option lapses, and usually it lasts for a year or two. You get your, your full everything back. You get to keep the money they gave you for the option. And then you can re-option it again. And you hmm. can just keep going on like that in perpetuity, theoretically. So uh, that, that does happen. But yeah. Mr. King has decided that he would have this... He took this idea of he has his short stories, a lot of his older ones. And he would put them up on his website. And if you, again independent filmmaker, student filmmaker, you want to option them, it costs you $1. Now you have to submit, I actually have the actual page from his site, it's the Dollar Babies page, and he calls them Dollar Babies, because it only costs a dollar to option them, and one of the requirements is when you're done, he gets a copy, and the myth, legend of the whole thing is that he actually has a shelf that he calls his Dollar Babies, and he puts the copy of the movie up there with all the other ones. So, I was going through, though, the uh, the gist of it on the website is, This is dollar babies. These stories are not under contract for movies, which means they're available for film students who want to try their hands at a Stephen King story. If you want to be one of my dollar babies, send us your info, Steve King. And then the following list is subject to change without notice. Now, my guess is if somebody comes to Mr. King and says, hey, we want to option one of the stories off of your dollar babies, but we want the we're universal studios or whatever. We want exclusive rights. We'll pay you $50,000 for that option my guess is that story's disappearing. So (laughs) I'm just going to throw it out there. But (laughs) this list, I don't know if you've gone through this list. There's a few on here that are, to me, are very recognizable. The majority of them come from Night Shift and Skeleton Crew, the two short story collections that are probably...
2: Yeah, just glanced at them.
1: And yeah, I mean, ones that jumped out at me immediately were uh, Ballad of the Flexible Bullet. I think that one is in... Oh, got actually, I have my, my copies of Night Shift and Skeleton Crew in front of me at the moment. Oh, I mine
2: are on this shelf, so they're too far away.
1: Oh, yeah, well, get uh, up and get them, Peter. This is like a book club.
2: The, they're in another room, for Christ's sake.
1: <laughs> God! <laughs> I think that's Skeleton Crew, and I'm not going to go through each of these and determine what they're from, uh, but like, but Beach World I recognized. Uh, oh, yeah, there's. Too, yeah, Yeah. Cain Rose Up, which is a story inspired by the, I guess the guy's name was Charles Starkweather, the one who went up into the tower at University of Texas oh, yeah. and started yeah, shooting yeah. people. It's it's that. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, let's see, Gray Matter. Here There Be Tigers. I remember that one. LT's Theory yeah. of Pets, which is a more recent one. I think that one may have been for, is it Everything's Eventual? I
2: think yeah, I that have, was the I title. I have that. But I have read it. Yeah, everything. So eventually. I don't. I have read all. I think it's
1: them. in that one, and that's that's a that's a more recent one. Yeah, it's a recent one. Uh, the ones uh, Strawberry Spring. I'm pretty sure that one is in Skeleton Crew. So for the little children, this one I was really surprised because this is a relatively well known one. Survivor type. It's the one about the guy who crash lands on or, or gets stuck on the deserted island and essentially has nothing to eat but himself
2: yeah, that one. Oh, wow. I haven't read him in a long time. So, but yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, he starts off with a small business.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. And the <clears> woman <throat> in the room, which we will be covering here in a moment. Yep. And then a one, I think is uh, The Reach, which if I'm not mistaken, I think The Reach, I want to say is somehow connected to, uh, is The Reach the one that's somehow connected to The Stand, incidentally? I, I want to say it was The Reach- Maybe I'm remembering uh, it wrong. I don't remember. I, I want to say The Reach had something to do with The Stand. Like, it had some connection to it, but I could be completely and utterly wrong on that. I know—I've yeah. heard of the title, and I know—
2: Yeah. I mean, I read Skeleton Crew, and, uh, oh, man, we're going we're going way back. So, I, you might be right. I'm not sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so—or The Reach may even be the—I know he also had a, a zombie story— the other one that jumped out at me was Rest Stop, which I think is a relatively new one. But my point is, these are not just, oh, I've never even heard of that kind of short stories. I mean, these are some of these I would imagine at some point have been optioned by studios. I, I could see several of these titles having been.
2: Yeah, it's not like uh, he just wrote them for, uh, I'll, I'll just put them there so people can buy them for a dollar. It's sure. it's, it's legitimate short, short stories that he wrote a long time ago.
1: And some not not super long ago, because I think, yeah. like I said, Rest Stop, LT's Theory of Pets, and there was a couple other ones that jumped out at me as I think they're more recent. But I don't know why it fascinated me. A, because I think it's very generous of him to do that. He does not have to do that. It's it's a very open-minded way to approach your material, to say, hey, yeah. I want to give young filmmakers this opportunity. I think it's a very cool thing for him to do, number one. Number two, as I was going in through his filmography, some, the first one that jumped out at me was... This one called Disciples of the Crow, and it had come out in 1983, and and then in parentheses it said short, and based on Children of the Corn. I was like, <laughs> and of course the more famous Linda Hamilton starring Children of the Corn, had came out in 84. So this is, this predates that. Yeah. So I found it, it's on YouTube. So if you want to see it, Disciples of the, Disciple or Disciples, I think it's Disciples, plural of the Crow.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Disciples. Yeah, I think
1: so. And I'm wondering if maybe I found it interesting because presumably it was one of his dollar babies. Children of the Corn is not here anymore. And my guess is because it was subsequently optioned by who I can't remember who released. It. I don't know if it was uh, like Golan Globus or one of the Dino De Laurentiis. I don't I don't think it was like a. it wasn't a big American nah, studio that did Children of the Corn. It seems like it was more like one of those, you know, Dino De Laurentiis kind of companies that did children of the corn, but I don't remember offhand. So I'm wondering if that was the reason why it wasn't called children of the corn, because maybe they had gotten the rights to do it as a short. They're getting, they're going to put it out. Well, in the meantime, back to my other point, somebody offers you enough money. And then once they option and it turns into a real movie and they're, you're paid for it, then your ability to take your own short material and turn it into a movie like that, even even as a short film, you wouldn't be able to do, even with your own short story, simply because you'd have a conflict there. You, I'm sure, signed a contract yeah. saying, "Well, they have the exclusive yeah. right to that property now." So, yeah, that might be why it's called "Disciples of the Corn." That's what I was thinking, just because yeah. let's be honest, "Children of the Corn" is a much better title. Yeah, but I kind of yeah, I don't hate that title, but I just think "Children of the Corn" is better. Yeah. So here's the first thought. Did you you watched it? Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I did. What did you think?
2: I actually kind of liked it.
1: Okay. It,
2: it's uh, it's the kind of story that we talk about disciples of the Crow now, right?
1: Yep. That's the one we're on.
2: Yeah. It's, I mean, you're immediately thrown into the story. You don't get much of a backstory. It's like, and then it just ends, you know what I, what I mean? Which is kind of mm-hmm. cool with short stories mm-hmm, like this, because mm-hmm. it's like you're thrown into it. You don't know a whole lot of it. And then you kind of have to deal with the situation and then it's over.
1: Yeah. It's filled. You have to fill in the blanks somewhat.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, no, I liked it, actually. So
1: It looked like it was shot 16 millimeter, which it would have been in 83, that most yeah. low-budget short films wouldn't have even been video at that point. So it would have been 16 millimeter. It was shot in film, which gave it that really great grainy look. I thought the cinematography, again, I'm going on several assumptions about it right now, which are that it was extremely low-budget, that... I mean, there's no names or anything like that in it and nobody attached to it. I checked on MDBA for all of the people involved with it. And I don't I don't think there was really anybody that went on to do anything. Certainly not anything major. No, not to my knowledge. no. Well, that's actually it's only kind of half true. John Woodward wrote and directed it and he did a couple. It looks like almost straight to video type deals. However, interestingly, Elise Lester, who I believe played the Linda Hamilton character. Yeah, she it shows her as having worked on Lone Star, which is the John Sayles movie and Cloak and Dagger. I don't (laughs) know in what capacity because she's listed as an actress and casting director. And I'm not going to dig deep enough here. (laughs) Everybody else is capable of getting on MDA and digging if they want to. So, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I I think
2: We, we won't take the job away from them.
1: Exactly. That's part of the fun. But yeah. the other guy, the uh, the lead, Gabe, his name's Gabriel Fulse or Folsy, played Bert, and oh, who was the guy? That uh, Peter wasn't. Who was the the husband in the Linda Hamilton version? It, it's, it's the guy actor's real name is Peter or something, right? It's, he was on Thirty Something. Peter Peter Horton played Vit, Bert. Yeah, okay, okay. And Linda yeah. Hamilton played Vicky. So yeah, these these people in the short film version. Were played by Elise Lester and Gabriel Foles or Fulsi or however you pronounce his name. Vicky and Bert. Yeah. And so, again, nobody major. I thought I liked the look of it. It had a yep. certain Tales from the Dark Side slash Texas Chainsaw Massacre quality, because I think both I know Chainsaw was shot 16 and pretty sure Tales from the Dark Side, the TV show was shot 16 as well, because it had a very it had a very unique look.
2: Yeah, it fits the mood and the settings and everything with the the cornfields. It it fits perfectly.
1: Yes, it does. And I agree with you. And I liked the way everything was set up. My only gripe, and I'm trying, I, you know, I've tried to stay positive because again, we, we all know how hard it is to make a movie. So I'm not gonna knock yeah. that. And and with especially when you consider full context of what you know, somebody who's doing something very low budget, it's a labor of love, they're not gonna make a dime from it. That's not what it's about. I no. compen- I commend them. I think it was very watchable. I enjoyed a lot of it. My only issue was some of the dialogue and the acting between the two leads, quite frankly. It was it was it was hard to it was almost like if that hadn't been there, it would have been effing amazing. Yeah. That was my biggest negative.
2: There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have a point there. It's been a couple of weeks since I watched it. But yeah, you have a point there. I call
1: it the screaming school of, of acting where everything is if we just yell it at each other, it's somehow yeah. more yeah. emotional. <laughs> yeah. Just yell. You just yell. Just yell all of your yeah. lines. No, dang it. Why are you doing that? <laughs> it's that, that, that type yeah. of acting. It's just it's kind of jarring. So. When I But it occurred to me as I'm watching it, again, very easy to make this observation 30-some-odd years after the movie was made. Yeah. Real, real exactly. big help there now, Robertson. But what <laughs> my thought was, it would have been an interesting stylistic choice. And I love that with short films, you can be more experimental and do this kind of thing. It occurred to me, because they have several moments where the camera is observing them on the road, let's say, which we're not going to go in, by the way, to high level of what these movies are about, especially this one. I think most people listening to this know what Children of the Corn is about. You know, the kids kill all the parents yeah. in the towns of like a religious cult type thing. This young couple crosses paths with them, has to run for their lives, pretty much. Yep. Yeah. So there's, but at the very beginning, just like in the main movie and in the short story, they hit a, they hit a kid with their car, but they aren't really the ones that had killed him. Let's just no, say. No, no, no and they're deciding what to do and they're freaking out that whole seek like that moment that was the one that really for me was the most jarring as far as the quality of the acting so but there were several moments where the camera was way back to the edge of the cornfield and I said to my wife I was like wouldn't it have been cooler if we we observed this scene from the cornfield more than from the, like the only time we ever would cut back to them would be the quieter moments. So you could hear them, yeah. and you'd hear yelling, but you would it almost be, we were far away enough away that it's unintelligible, and you just uh. know, you know what I'm saying? Something like that to where, yeah. and that would obviously have covered up the issue of the acting close up, and it would have given this really creepy sense of somebody watching them. So I don't know, that was just my only observation of like, quote-unquote, how would you make it better, smart guy?
2: Yeah, but that was actually pretty good. That was uh, I'm kind of envisioning it now. It, yeah, I mean, you're you're seeing their uh, their mouthing the words, you kind of hearing what they're sure. saying, but not. Yeah, uh-huh. almost like if you think of an I early like
1: an early Scorsese movie or something where, and granted, he wouldn't be shooting something in a cornfield, but like where he would shoot yeah. a scene from like almost like a master shot. Oh, from yeah. like almost like half a block away, and you're just seeing yeah. the characters. And now usually the dialogue's a lot clearer because you know you're using frigging Harvey Keitel and Robert De Niro, so yeah, <laughs> a little different. They wouldn't, be yell- they wouldn't be yelling at each other. Well, and if they were, it it fit the moment. <laughs> so, yeah. And these people, like, these people just hit a kid with their car. I get why they'd be upset.
2: Uh, of course, they just hit him, and, and yeah, and their emotions would be a high. But would you? Would you actually be yelling all the time? I don't think so.
1: No, you wouldn't be. And I think there'd be a level of shock, I guess. And, and here's the key. Go back and watch the Lyndall Hamilton, uh, Peter Norton interpretation of the same scene. It's, they're upset, they're distraught, but you'd never at least I don't recall ever watching that and being like, yeah, that's rough. Quiet down, damn it. <laughs> but again, context is everything. And all of that being what it is, I I liked it. I didn't. I didn't hate it. It's it's you know a true short student type film, but it's just a neat way to see that story interpreted before the main movie had come out.
2: Yeah, and as I said, uh, what I like about it is you never really quite get what the hell has happened. Well, you do, and yet you don't. It's it's like you you they drive into this town, and you're like, why the hell is this empty? And you get those small snippets of. Uh, what has happened with the damn creepy kids in the church? Yeah, uh, at the beginning, and you see, kind of, uh, uh, there was a cool shot that was uh, in the church on the uh, damn it, the, the stained glass windows, right? Oh, oh yeah, changing that—that was kind of cool.
1: That but, was very cool. Anyway,
2: it, yeah, and I, but it's only short uh, snippets of whatever happened there, and you never really get. If it's yeah, uh, you, you see what I mean.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And I would say if you've never if you've never seen the original or read the story, I could see that it'd be maybe a little confusing. That, that but I think yeah, if it you, is. Yeah. But if you come to it with all that knowledge, you're able to obviously much easier fill in certain gaps. Well, yeah. And of I don't know if that would make it more enjoyable. Be interesting to see if somebody's never seen the original at all.
2: Yeah, if they could just kind of read between the lines, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and I don't know because obviously we both had too much knowledge going in and. Well, we were, yeah. we did read between the lines because we knew what was there, but the other the other thing I do is going to point out I really liked was the moments when they are in the town and there's nobody seemingly around and they go into the little store I guess and there's those leftover and I'm pretty sure this is in the original movie as well where because this was '83 so it was supposedly 10 years before when they had killed all the adults off and yeah. and there's right. still the calendar hanging up but I think there wasn't there something with Nixon. As president, or was there some uh, reference to water? There was something that was of the time. Yeah, I
2: think so. Yeah, yeah, I think so.
1: And I always like that kind of thing—that that sense of almost that post-apocalyptic. This is where time was frozen. Yep. Kind of vibe. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, yeah, I love that it's creepy. It's really creepy. So yeah, I I, yeah. I give them a hats off on the definitely in the area of cinematography and atmosphere and tone. That kind of thing. And even editing. Like, I thought it was relatively, you know, tightly edited, again, considering what it was. And uh, I, yeah, but my biggest knock, and I try and try not to be a D-bag about it, was the acting of the two leads, which, unfortunately, is somewhat important, you know. But even then, like, the moments towards the end when they're trying to escape, I found it intense enough, and I found it uh, that myself, that sense of, like, okay, go, 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 go. (laughs) So, you know, it did work on that level, so.
2: You just don't have to scream to
1: emote. No, you don't. And, and it's it's just, and I, I'm sure most folks out there listening around know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the, you know, what do we do? I don't know. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, th- 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 well, well, what? I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Stop screaming. Yeah, but, how, screaming. About, how about yes, yeah, you how about just take a frigging chill pill? Yeah. <laughs> Says the guy standing I, I, in his closet, not dealing with a dead kid on the highway in a cornfield. <laughs> Yeah, but I think okay,
2: and uh, not like I don't hit a lot of kids with my car, but I would imagine. But when you do, I don't, yeah, when you do, I don't think it was. I think you would be too much in shock.
1: To yeah, just, you'd probably be shocked. I can see yeah, me breaking down and crying. I can see. Yeah, I don't think you would be screaming all no. the time. No, I mean, like at one time, if somebody yes, kept I did. like I think her, if she had been almost at a whisper and just kept asking, <laughs> like, "What do we do? What do we do?" And if he finally like blew up, it's like, "I don't know!" And he yells one time, "Okay, that's okay, that's okay." Yeah. But not all the time. Not the entire time. Not the entire scene. Every line. sticking out of his back. Yes, it is. (laughs) Is there corn handles? Yes, there is. (laughs) Is it hot out here? Is it just me? No, you're right. It is. (laughs) So it's not just me. No, it's not. (laughs) Yes. So (laughs) that was Disciples of the Crow. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Screaming. Yes. A lot of screaming. Long story short. See, we liked it.
1: Well played. So the next one on the list is The Boogeyman Yep, from 1982, I believe. And this one, I, I will, this one I'm going to give a, just a high level overview of. According to IMDb, a man tries to explain to his psychiatrist that the Boogeyman is real and has been killing his children. He has three children and the last one has been found, as the short starts, the last one is found dead. And as it turns out, he goes to see a shrink. He's laying on the couch. He's explaining the whole thing. This was originally, it was directed and written by Jeff Shiro. Now, Peter, you did say you watched that short uh, interview, about 20-something minute interview with Stephen King from the early 80s? Uh, Yeah. The link I had sent you? Okay. Had I already sent you that link? Yeah, you had. Oh, I I, I was like trying to remember. I was like, I don't think I did. Dang it, I wanted him to to have seen it.
2: Oh, no, I watched it uh, two weeks or so ago, I think.
1: Okay. Well, in that one, he... I believe in that interview, he mentions this short film and they actually interview the director because he was at the time. Yeah, yeah, I think they did. Yes, he was at the time a student at the University of Maine. Or is it Orono? I think it's Orono campus, which was Stephen King's alumni, which were the people his alumni were were producing this, you know, 20 something minute, almost like a public access interview with him at his home. It's kind of neat. At The very beginning, you get to see his Victorian mansion with the creepy. Cobweb design gates and you know the wrought iron gate at the uh, front. Yeah. It pretty much when yeah. you the house you think Stephen King would live in, that is totally this house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he definitely would you would not be disappointed. It's not like you'd walk up and there's just this boring 1970s suburban tract house. No, no, a ranch house. Oh. This is exactly the house you think Stephen King would and should live in. And exactly. they're interviewing him there and he talks about the short. And what I love about King, I got to give him credit because he doesn't just blow smoke up people's butts. He's, he said, makes a They ask him about what his thoughts were on the short. And I, I think he pretty much is very matter of fact. Well, it's, it's not perfect. <laughs> it's kind <got> of <laughs> flaws, but he goes, considering this guy is this young guy, you know, he's, he's trying, you know, he, he, he cut him the proper, I think, slack and gave him the credit yeah. of, hey, he tried. And I always come back yeah. to, you're willing to go out there, you're willing to put your work out there and you're the person that's going to put it on the line. I don't give a crap if it's Ed Wood. I got respect for you. And that was the tone King had and I liked, I just liked that. I liked that he was not just like, oh, it's great, because I don't hurt the kids' feelings. It was, no, it's not perfect. It, it's honest. You're having a beer with him. I feel like that's what he would have told you. Yeah. Not just because a camera was on him. No, no, exactly. And I like that. So, uh, I like that about uh, him. Uh, that he seems that way.
2: Yeah, but uh, he. Can, uh, I mean, he's been he. He struggled when he was uh, young and trying to. Uh, I suppose he knows what it means to be struggling. Sure. Uh, in any craft. Sure. So. Uh, so uh, yeah, no, no, he he, he comes up like. Uh, I, I mean, every interview you see with him, he he feels he feels real honest.
1: Oh, we'll jump right into it. What did you think of it?
2: Uh, not bad. Uh, again the acting uh, but mm-hmm. uh, overall the story is uh, uh i actually just to go on another tangent here uh i went back and reread these three
1: oh did sold- you say i didn't have time to do that and i can't oh, I, no, I have the uh, books I, i'm like oh i should have done that
2: yeah. no no i did and uh they're pretty accurate uh, hmm. actually uh, and uh the boogeyman too it, it's okay so they can't go into everything and uh, but sure. but the tone of it, and it actually, no, it it follows the short story pretty good.
1: Was the Boogeyman, because I never read that one, does it, without giving away, we we won't give away the ending of that, no, no. does it end the same way? Uh, yeah, it does. With who it turns out to be? hmm Because I found that very disjointed. Like, I I, I didn't, it just felt... Um, uh,
2: I'm not saying I understand it, but okay. it ended the same way. Oh,
1: as long as we're on the same page, <laughs> that was it. It was that yeah, sense of, okay, yeah. why that happened? Huh? Yeah. Why him? Why, I don't get no, the... No. C- I'm with you on that. If it had been somebody that had been in their lives, I think, prior, I would have bought that more.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. And I I went back to the the short stories after I watched the the shorts. And I I thought, I have to check, is this, does it end the same way? And it did. So Okay. Okay. I never got any answers out of it, but it follows those same lines.
1: Gotcha. But uh, no, I kind of liked it. Okay starting on a positive note, what I liked about it is it reminded me, kind of in a way, the way Disciples of the Crow did, it reminded me of Tales from the Dark Side, which is just a personal favorite. I love Tales from the Dark Side. And mainly because of the the look and the feel of it. Yeah, exactly. I I agree with you, the acting was spotty. Mm. Yeah. And it was, there were moments where it was just hard, I think, to figure out what exactly, from a storytelling perspective, was going on. It suffered what I think a lot of short films, especially student films, suffer from oftentimes this seems to be the bane of that world is a lot of times the acting you get is not of a quality that you would necessarily want because they either have to go with people who do mostly theater, which not to knock theater folks, but there's a different style acting. And I think that they sometimes come at it theatrically. And if that doesn't fit the material, then it it just doesn't work. And oh. and likewise, or they get complete and utter laymen who've never acted a day in their life and they don't understand what it takes to get into a role and, and just the emotional honesty. They just don't know any of that and they don't know how to get there. They don't know how to get to that place that they gotta get to for especially if it's something because it seems like many short films, especially student shorts, they, they either are just very talky, like the dinner my dinner with Andre sort of vibe, or they go for something super emotional that yeah. The actors can't quite get to, so no, it's not it's not easy. So it's uh, not; it's really not. So no, I no. tend to side with King. It's definitely far from perfect. It's, it was my le- of the three we're going to cover. It was my least favorite by far. Yeah. But yeah. I can appreciate what the guy was trying to pull yeah. off. I, I can the appreciate
2: tone of it. the tone of it works.
1: Yeah. So I guess we will go ahead and move on from there to the final one, the Woman in the Room. The Woman in the Room, which. Is definitely the least Stephen King Stephen King-ish short film and probably one of his the least Stephen King-ish short stories, but I say that with this caveat. A, yeah. I only mean that in people's assumption about him is gonna be that everything is supernatural, weird, wacky horror. He's a you know, writer's a writer's a writer, right? And he's written non-horror stuff and he's written yeah. more dramatic things. And that's what this falls into. He's a good writer, he's a great writer, and this is indicative of his abilities as a writer. And in fact, as I understand it, because his mother died of cancer, this was meant to be about that in a sense for him. And it's uh, again to our tried and true. Oh, so trusty Imdb. the basic <laughs> synopsis is, wow, this is, this is one of those that I love to, to quote, but it's not going to help anybody. This is the actual <laughs> MDBA description. I almost want to go in there and okay. fix this. She she is incurable ill, but she cannot die. Only her son, a lawyer, could bring her relief when he decides to do so, starts his personal nightmare. Just so we're clear, that tells you almost nothing and barely gives you any idea what this lawyer's mother is dying of cancer, horrible, horrible pain. She is not dying, and he has to make this very tough Moral decision, whether or not to help her commit suicide. And meanwhile, there's a subplot where he is a defense attorney for a guy on death row.
2: And you know what? I said I went back to the short stories and read them. Mm -hmm. That's not in there.
1: Interesting. And (laughs) I think I, but you know what, from a cinematic perspective and, and, and let's just get the cat out of the bag. The reason why this would be worth the of all three of them if you can only see one. See this one, it's because it was written and directed by Tell him Peter, Frank Darabont. Frank Darabont, and just in case you yep. don't know, Shawshank Redemption, Green Mile, uh, Majestic, was a guy who launched The Walking Dead and was the showrunner for the whole first season. Yeah, accomplished man. Very accomplished, and yeah. he was only like twenty three or twenty four when he made this. Yeah, he was he was young, and this is a very mature.
2: Yeah, it is. It's it, uh, How do you put this? It's not, you have to think a little bit. It's like you, you say, the, the moral dilemma. It's it's a thinking man's short
1: story, is that? I think it's definitely, it's it's very emotional, but it's very intellectual and it's very cerebral, which in fact, I, I again, having, I think I remember the short story, but it's, if I read it, it was so long ago, it's almost like I didn't. So I might as well say I haven't. <laughs> mm. And so I don't really recall, but it seems to me as a short story that, It would have been so cerebral, so internal, that it would have been very difficult to make into a movie. Like, I don't think this is one that you would read and go, oh, I want to make that into a movie,
2: I, no unless you're Frank Arbent of course and new uh, yeah a new year stuff
1: and and but that then brings me to the point he was even at that point smart enough as a story visual storyteller to understand the difference in the two mediums because people always love to do it. it was nothing like the book it's not supposed to be it's a different no. medium that's like saying the sculpture is nothing like the painting it's not i know oh. I know it's like you get the Venus de Milo there. Right. And you paint a painting of her and you're like, well, I'm sorry, that painting, it's beautiful at all, but it's nothing like that statue. (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. Genius. (laughs) (laughs) Two different mediums. One visual action oriented, one internal, you know, cerebral. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you can't, I mean, you can't put everything that's in a book and translate it into a movie because it won't work, and especially the internal thoughts, in which sure. this is.
1: Unless you want to go down the road of the voiceover, which seldom works effectively.
2: Nah, it's, it does sometimes, but yeah. So uh, it, it would definitely not have worked in this one.
1: No, not at all.
2: Yeah, it is very internal. And the, uh, the short story is mostly in his, actually uh, mostly in his mind when he goes through the whole story. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's his thoughts.
1: And I will say, and this goes back to the director, because he, I'm sure with a movie this small, did everything. Yeah. It, the acting in this one, my opinion, Mm -hmm. top notch. Yeah. It's very good. This is not short film acting. This is a, you know, these, these folks at the very least, this was decent TV show acting, if not even higher than that. This was professional level acting.
2: Yeah, it was, and uh, they were.
1: Mm-hmm. And you can tell. I mean, there, it is yeah. a noticeable difference. So, I
2: mean, the prison, the prisoner. Oh, uh, all
1: of them. Yeah, uh, he was great. I loved the, him.
2: Yeah, and he. I mean, top level actor. Do you know what the movie he did before this was? What? Silent Rage.
1: Oh, Chuck the Chuck movie. Norris movie. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh wow! See, top notch acting. I'm not knocking Chuck. Norris I was about to say. I was about to say. Okay,
1: up. was that sarcasm or was that? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would never. <laughs> yeah, we're we're smart enough I'm, to not make fun of Mr. Norris's acting ability. No,
2: I'm actually I'm a huge fan of Chuck Norris, so I will. Uh, <laughs> and the fact that he could actually knock me into the Stone Age,
1: yeah, even even at seventy or whatever the hell he is.
2: No, he would have no problems with that. Just by the flick of his little finger, Problem. So no, but the the, the acting is is
1: superior. Oh, it's it's phenomenal, and 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 I think the lead who un, actually I think sadly, let me go ahead and bring it up real quick. So as we said, it's about this guy whose mother's dying and this guy he's battling yeah. internally with whether or not to help her commit suicide it was played by Michael, uh, Cornelison. He actually passed away in 2011. He was only 59 years old.
2: Oh, wow. I mean, it was a good, most of the, and most of the acting is, 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 is his thoughts, but it's the way he, it's all I mean, expressed it,
1: that we don't ever hear his yeah. voiceover that I, there was no, no voiceover no, no. in that. Was there?
2: No. Not as far as I remember. No, I don't
1: remember any voiceover at all. But nope, it's nope. in moments, it's almost like, other than sound design, there's almost, it's almost a silent film. because It's silent, yeah. And that's why I think Darabont was a genius to have that subplot. Because he's a defense attorney. Have And then, think about it. Anybody else could have just done it to her. Okay, he's a defense attorney. And we're just going to add a subplot so he has somebody else to interact with. It's just his client. No, but
2: it, 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 has, it has a point. There's a point to the subplot.
1: I agree with you. I think the genius of it is, is that the guy is on death row and he's a killer who provides the moral connection this guy needs to do what he has to do. Exactly. Which is really freaking amazingly smart for some... Yeah, I mean, no knocking 22, 20-year-old kids. I'm purely going by myself here. That's deep.
2: Yeah, it's like, how did you ever feel anything when you killed him? And uh, the only thing it was the only th- time he really felt anything was was when he kind of mercy killed his friend.
1: Yes. Yeah, during Vietnam. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and that was exactly what he was looking for. Uh, our main character.
1: Okay, he was more of a hitman, right? Did you get that vibe uh, that he was more yeah, of a hitman yeah, type? Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, a hitman kind of, yeah.
1: Because I think he says
2: oh, Yeah, that's right. It's yeah, just it a job. I think it was. Yeah. It was just yeah. a job to him. It did exactly. didn't feel anything. The only time he felt the only time he felt anything.
1: And it was very specifically a mercy killing yeah. of his friend who was suffering. So the idea yeah. of putting his friend who he loved like a brother out of his misery, the only time it ever really bothered him and that he had any sense of regret over. And yet this is yeah. exactly what this guy's dealing with in turn. I loved that. And I think, Otherwise, if you don't have that scene at all, A, you miss that element, which you kind of need because that's integral to the decision his character makes.
2: In the short story, the, the King's short story, you don't have to have this because you have all the thoughts, the internal, the thermal, which works on the page. But if you have to put it on on film, you have to have something else to, to kind of verbalize it. And this works. I, I like that scene. It was it, it fit perfectly.
1: But as short films go, I found it good. Now, it's a slow, slow burn, and it's it's not particularly, there's definitely nothing action-y about it. There's no it's pure drama, emotion under the surface kind of stuff, but
2: so There's only one scare point, actually, in it. that's the dream he has.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's the mm. only one. But I will say this without giving away the ending. Mm. Uh, Wes, I don't know how I can do this without giving away the ending. I'm going to have to. <laughs> Alright, just real quick. It's like 20 minutes long. Pause this, go to YouTube, put Woman in the Room, Stephen King, it'll pop up. It's like broken up in, what, two or three parts? Same with, I think all three of them are broken up into two. I think this one was in two parts, and Boogeyman was in three, and Disciples of the Crow, I think, was in three parts. So that's right.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. This is like
1: 18, 20 minutes long. Watch it come back, because I'm seriously going to just spoil the crap out of the ending.
2: Yeah, We'll wait. Hang on.
1: Okay, well, now it's the spoiling part. Yeah. (laughs) He decides (laughs) to help his mother commit suicide. He brings a Big bottle of pills, pain relievers, right? Yeah, and he offers her one. Now he said the whole time we've built up to this idea of him, you know, battling. Oh, should I do it? He goes to the bathroom to get her a drink of water. He's going to bring her out her medicine, and he gives her one. And they never. This is why I was like, "Hold! This is holy crap! This is brilliant." They, they lock did. eyes, and he gives yeah. her the one, and then she and he goes, "Is that better?" And she just kind of, "Yes, yes." And she's kind of weak, and she's not, she's with it, but she's also kind of in and out of it. And and he goes, "Would you like another one?" And she gets this look. The actress, uh, yeah, hold on, I, I, I want to give her freaking kudos. The woman who played his mother, dude.
2: I, yeah, she and, and she was just lying there. She never did anything. That's just her.
1: Dee face. Croxton, she doesn't even have her picture out. Apparently, uh, actually, she's kind of cool. Darabont put her in uh, Green Mile. I don't know who she was in the Green Mile. But years later, he did have, oh, Night Shift Collection, by the way, was the name of the short series at this and ah, the Boogeyman yeah, yeah,
2: that's right. Yeah.
1: But she was in that. She was in a couple other things, but she doesn't have much listed on Imdeba. Uh,
2: no, I don't. I, I, I think I checked her and it, it wasn't much. It. I, I mean, she could have, she could have gone blazes.
1: It, well, because the, the, the moment between the two of them, they just lock yeah. eyes and he yeah, goes, well, do you, what, do you need another one? And she just kind of does this thing like, Yes. Yes, I do. Like,
2: well, I, I have to ask you, that that whole scene. I was I just want to know if you were the same or we we're on the same page. I was hardly breathing there. Oh, it's yeah. So in, it's so
1: intense. For there being nothing really happening other than a guy sitting at his mother's deathbed handing her pills. Yeah. But they, they and the, and then she takes a second one and he goes, do you want another one? And then at some point they just he stops asking. And they just it's almost like they just have their eyes locked on each other. and He just keeps handing them to her slowly. She puts it in her mouth, swallows. It's powerful as hell. And then that little touch, because he's a defense attorney and she realizes what he's done and what he's doing for her. Yeah, he He, wipes it off. He wipes his phone fingerprints off the jar and hands it to her. And she actually intentionally pushes her fingerprints on it. And it's like they have this packed. Oh my God, dude. It was that was amazingly powerful for just such a little moment. So I think we could both agree this one.
2: Yeah. And it kind of, and also she says there at the, the last end, I'm i tired now. And it's oh, kind of yes. like she said, yeah. yeah. And you know what? That almost brought tears to my eyes because when my dad died, that's exactly what he said to me. The, the last words he said was, I'm tired now, Peter. I have I want to sleep. And I said, you go to sleep, dad. Good night. Last words we ever said to each other with that. So it, that moment, and it, it kind of just hit me though. Wow. Yeah, that whole thing, and I'm, and not not just because of that, but the the acting in it, and and just those words. I'm tired now. I, I, I want to sleep or something to that uh, to that effect. That that kind of brought it home.
1: Yeah, I agree. And out of all three of them, this one was my favorite. It's not yeah. your typical yep. Stephen King thing. No, it's not. No. So if that's what you're looking for, don't go into this one because you'll be horribly disappointed. But if you want to yeah. actually see a really <laughs> a, good, a good example of a future great filmmaker getting started and, and those sparks of potential there that he built upon. I think that this is an excellent, excellent little short film to sit through. So
2: yeah, it is. if you have to see the uh, watch, all three of them go to the, watch the, the other two first and then end with this one. Cause uh, I, and I did exactly that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So Peter, my friend, thank you for doing this with me. And in fact, if I'm not mistaken, the way I've got everything scheduled up, this should be the last of the bonus episodes. So you made it to the end.
2: Uh, uh, you know what? I checked the schedule and I think you're right.
1: I believe it is. I believe this is the the 20th of all the... the I had the few uh, old-time radio ones in there, but as far as the 1 through 20 of the bonus episodes, this was, I believe, the 20th one. And so as of tomorrow, when this is airing, so as of tomorrow... The very final Spooky Flicks Fest episode with Jason and me should be out. Presuming yeah. we've recorded, because actually at the time we're recording this, Peter, we haven't recorded that yet, so there's that. No. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> but I thank you so much, and I thank everybody who has taken part in all these bonus episodes. It has been a frigging amazing experience to have the opportunity to talk to all these different people about different movie stuff. It's been very cool. It's been a little exhausting. I've never... I pretty much could say that since I started for Flex, I've never worked collectively this hard in one small chunk of time on anything. <clears> but it's come together, and it's come together because all you guys and I really, really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, I love the fact that you're doing it this month to to kind of summarize everything more or less with a shitload of content.
1: Yeah, that's a good way, a way of putting a lot, it.
2: A lot of people and a lot of people do. Maybe not. Well, you you've recorded with Maggie and Hammond, you said, and I
1: Oh, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of people. <laughs>
2: to kind of collect all of those for the final month. I, I, a, I like that idea.
1: Yeah, yeah it, was, <laughs> it, was a, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So I appreciate it, Peter. Thank you. And because today should be October 30th, I wish you and everybody out there a very, very happy Halloween.
2: Oh, likewise, my friend. Likewise. Thank, Thank you for you joining us for this, this special
0: bonus episode, episode of the 2014 spooky flicks fest and a special thanks to peter nielsen he always brings his a-game and you can find more of his retro review love at forgottenflicks.com looking for more spooky fun why not head on over to forgottenflicks.com where you can sign up to receive free updates and something Horrific delivered to your inbox every day in October. See you soon.